0: Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we have encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world.
1: Thank you for joining us for part two of a two-part series with Sally Elata, founder and CEO of Agility Health. Agility Health is a company that offers a leading measurement and continuous improvement platform designed to accelerate the enterprise business agility journey and make new ways of work a reality. In this podcast series, Salary counts how she used her knowledge and skills to create positive change for her homeland of Sudan. If you missed our previous episode, we suggest revisiting it first. Otherwise, we're happy you're tuning in to learn more about leveraging transformation skills to rebuild nations on our Agile Tales. Welcome back, Sally. In our last episode, you mentioned test it, nail it, and scale it. How did you test the Sudan NextGen platform that you had built? How did you realize you nailed it? And what did you do to scale it once you realized you nailed it?
2: Good questions. I love that. So when we first tested it, we built sort of the kind of the first MVP for registration. And we had a close set of experts and advisors that are almost core part of our team. And so we had them register, honestly, and go through the process. And we had them give us feedback on, was it easy? Was this difficult? Could you do it on your own? And then we realized that they couldn't really do it completely on their own without a video. So then I recorded it. So this is a little bit about the nail it. (laughs) I recorded a video and we put it on the main registration page. Start here. Watch this short five minute video from Sally. It was really short. And that video was super helpful in just showing them how to get to the right tabs and upload the resume, you know, just be able to do the simple things. It wasn't, I guess, as simple as LinkedIn. Um, so that was super helpful. And it was the same thing for the project registration. You know, the, the project registration, we created the first version, we asked people to use it, we identified from them the complexities. We did create the little getting started video, you know, start here video. And then we scaled it. And scaling it for us was we had Facebook Lives. So we announced it to the world, we did some large. And again, we have over a hundred thousand followers on Facebook. So like I said, this vision that we had immediately grew very rapidly. I think I mentioned, I had a couple of interviews with some TV, Al Jazeera and others, and I had 2 million followers and and people that watched that video, those videos. So all of a sudden we had a nice test bed after that to scale it. And so once we felt a little bit comfortable, we did the Facebook live and we, we really sent a, a call to action for a lot of the other experts. So there's about, I think five or 600 of them that actually, and, but we did give them qualification. We didn't want everybody in the world We really wanted senior level experts to be registering. And and so that's what happened.
1: So during the Test It, Nail It, Scale It process, did you pivot at any point? How did you know what and how to pivot? And also, how did you know when to pivot and when to keep going the same direction or when to stop?
2: Yeah, there was one time we were working with UNDP and UNDP had asked us that when the projects are getting registered, there's like an Excel sheet that they normally have people fill out. And I, I was I was forgetting earlier is the SDG goals, but that Excel was very complex. So we could tell after we've asked a couple of people to do it, that this was just not sustainable, it wasn't scalable. So we pivoted away from that idea. So we never really had to pivot away from the the core concept of registering experts and registering projects, like that stayed the same, but especially on the projects, what level of detail we needed and how do we make it come to life? We pivoted a couple of times on things in the design that made it not great from a user experience perspective. And how is the platform doing today? The platform today is well and online and usable. It's not being added to. So that's where we are today is, you know, the platform is available when the government is ready. You know, it was definitely when that transitional government had started, it was being leveraged. They said that there's no other place they could find anywhere that had as big of a list of projects. So the projects that we have are almost 227 registered ideas to help Sudan in all sorts of innovative, I mean, from drone technology to solar energy it's amazing if you guys go to sudanxia.com and click on projects just to see what people have come up with and the list of experts are there but the the biggest pivot is until we have a stable government we really can't take this to the next level we've made a lot of connections a lot of people have met each other and a lot of people that have had projects that are the same ideas connected with each other so we feel like we've definitely delivered value our big dream of many of these projects being prioritized and funded by the government that was the big end goal we definitely had to pivot from that vision.
0: Now, in transforming a nation, obviously you talk to a lot of people. I mean, you just told me like how many people you actually talk to. And I'm sure a number of them have different perspectives or opposing views than you do. So how do you talk to them to bring them around to your perspectives or don't you? You know what was really interesting for me because we all
2: always birds of the feather flock together so I'm always surrounded by agilists or people that are in the transformation space and this work that I just did brought me to working with doctors, professors, PhD folks, folks that are in science and agriculture. There's a lot of agricultural experts that we work with. There are local nonprofit organizations that I had to meet with. And I started to just realize that the Sudanese community in general doesn't have, they're not easily, how do I say this word? They don't collaborate easily with consensus. They tend to argue with each other and see different viewpoints and not come together easily. And I didn't know that fact before. I didn't realize that. Honestly, I'm, I'm a facilitator, I'm a collaborator, so it's easy for me to give in or to say, okay, I, love, I would love to hear your view. But there was this interesting cultural aha that while the community is actually extremely intelligent and people are very smart, and I, I don't think there's anybody that has more PhDs than this community that I've worked with, but their opinions are strong. They're very analytical and they tend to disagree. So the challenge became for us is how do we facilitate? And you can imagine now, this is, wasn't just about you know Sudan and next-gen and what we do. This was what's the right thing for Sudan kind of conversations. Should the civilians rule or what part of the civilian government should rule? And what should we do with the military? And there was a lot of debate as you can imagine are those civic societies genuine or are they in it for themselves? So yeah, I mean, all we could do is be facilitators. We facilitated lots of conversations. We helped use some of our brainstorming techniques and consensus building techniques. And, and I would tell you a lot of them appreciated. We did a lot of agile training, a lot of agile training. Um, I had a group of, um, there was I think 30 or, or 20 different trainers that went to Sudan. And one of our biggest hit workshops was agile and, and how would you work as an agile team and how do you build a backlog? And mm-hmm. I cried, I was here. But I, they had me join on the big screen on Zoom, and so there was 400 people that attended that one workshop. 400. Wow. And seeing them sitting together and collaborating and doing Post-it notes and making decisions together and deciding what they're going to work on, just giving them structure, showing them how to structure work and how to structure even decisions. I remember crying when I watched uh, and saw what was going on because it was it was inspirational. It was my first time hearing in Arabic, you know, people talk about Agile and and, and planning. And then we did a lot of that kind of training for nonprofit groups and civil societies. So they would reach out to us and say, hey, we heard you guys are really good at organizing and and, and team collaboration. And we've built an Agile course that is just for Sudan and Sudanese, and we've emphasized in it collaboration, teamwork, decision-making, and having effective meetings. I would even say a little bit more so than story pointing and all. When, When a team comes to us to be onboarded, to learn about agility, we start with the teamwork. And the collaboration and then we bring them into the backlog management and the sprints and how do they get work done so that was just a long answer sorry to you know how did we address conflict and that it was just a big aha for us that there's a bigger gap here
0: wow that's very inspiring I mean you do a workshop for 400 people and you you saw it on zoom I mean that's that's amazing must be a sight to to uh, to behold that's for sure it's beautiful (laughs) I bet, I bet. So obviously, I mean, we we touch upon this also a little bit earlier, the value of diversity. But I'm curious, you know, for people who don't understand the value of diversity, how would you convince them that, you know, that this is actually very valuable?
2: I mean, we just we learned it um, when I, when I went into this, I didn't even think about diversity. I just thought about including everybody, and by including all the various people that were coming to me, it was the most diverse nonprofit work group you could ever have. I mean, I had Dr. Neda, she's a renowned specialist in infection diseases in the United States. And she was on my core team. Um, Dr. Noha, she comes from that medical background, but learned to be an agile project manager and, and was like, I would say the heart and soul of May, who was an agilist, you know, helped us, you know, Bakri is in the aviation space. And he was a core member of the team. It was just amazing to have Dr. Nimr, he's a, an expert in oil and gas. So I, I just can't tell you that the diversity that we had was almost shocking to me because I sometimes felt intimidated because I didn't understand some of the domains that they were talking about. You know, I'm like, wow, like this is, this is over my head. I don't know how to talk about oil and gas. But then I realized my job wasn't to be an expert on those fields. My job was to bring people together and be the facilitator and bring my core competence in. And my core competence was leadership, strategy, vision, and bringing people together. Right. So, so I guess my message for leaders, you know, that are hearing this is just, you know, we made a lot of things that everybody thought was impossible, possible. Because of our diversity, mm-hmm. and that's what you get with diversity—you know, just new ideas, new mindsets. Yeah, there's challenges for sure. Like I said, I did not know that this group of people were going to have as many differing opinions, um, so I had to design for that now. But the ideation and the innovation and the things that we've done—we actually even got, gosh, what's the name of? There is a big organization that assesses nonprofits, and we got highlighted in their last report. Wow. Um it's a UN organization. I don't know what the name of it. I'll look it up, but they interviewed us. Wow. Just as an example of a successful nonprofit that has brought others together to accomplish work that's difficult basically.
0: Wow, that's that's amazing. I'm curious because you already mentioned that there are like so many PhDs in your group. So obviously highly intelligent, highly skilled and educated and also a lot of them high-powered. So I am curious. I know that you said your core strength is to bring people together, to, to get people to collaborate. So how do you deal with the dynamics of power or even politics when it rears its head?
2: You know, I mean, sometimes it was difficult, and we and we really had to figure out like who should be part of the core team, who should be part of the extended team, who did we want to be around? What are our core values and norms that we wanted to stick to and have and be clear? And we sometimes would have people that join us that were disruptors. What I mean by that is lots of ideas, no action. So we had decided that we don't want idea people that have no action because it was overwhelming for us. And there was a lot of people that had lots of ideas and they expected us to take action on them. So it was overwhelming. So for us at the beginning, when you're kind of a team forming, you got to figure out what your norms are and what you will accept and what you won't accept. And how small do you want the core team to be versus how large? And who are we going to welcome and not welcome and who do we want to work with? And those were all, you know, different decisions. And we had just decided people that are very drama oriented or people that were going to add a lot of work to our backlog without them contributing or people that we were not sure about their credibility. And this is the other thing is, I mean, this is specific to Sudan, but some of the people we would work with might have been part of the the original party, the other political party. So we just came up with some of these things to just help us figure out like, who do we want to work with and how? So I think those core values and working
0: agreements are helpful. Thank you. Those are really, very good advice.
1: I really love how you brought your superpowers of collaboration, facilitation, agile to the table and generate this change. What would you say are the principles from business agility that you repurposed to transform a nation?
2: A lot from business agility. I should call it nation agility or just transformation. Um, there's a lot. The whole, the, I mean, obviously the the test it nail it scale it is definitely an agility pattern. The building a team and empowering the team to make decisions together in collaboration. That's from agility. The building a backlog and not having to build a big plan up front and building in small increments. A lot of the agile norms and best practices of how we work as a team were like super critical. I just, you know, the diversity, I think, I don't know if the diversity is part of agility. I think it is, but bringing in the right set of cross-functional team members to do work. What we struggled with, because it was nowhere in my history or in agility, is how to manage volunteers. That was a big gap for us. Like, how do you manage a group of volunteers and how do you manage them when there's too many of them? I, I came from a world where I had a team and a team had a backlog and a vision and my team size did not grow and expand and collapse dramatically. That's something that I was not ready for kind of, you know, you could all of a sudden a hundred people are reaching out to me like, what can you want me to do? What do you want me to do? How can I help? And then all of a sudden it goes down to zero and that, you know what I mean? That was the, the dynamic that agility hasn't helped me with. It was not part of, you know, any of our ways of working to have that level of change, but everything else was super, super helpful
1: that's awesome and I think, sorry
2: also the visioning because I think we also learned how to provide clarity on the vision when you're working in an agile structure and align everybody to the vision and have you know clear outcomes so we definitely had vision and we had you know short-term outcomes and all that that
1: was super helpful I love it I love it a lot so how is agility now in Sudan and are you measuring agility in Sudan now
2: Yeah. So where we are, Sudan Next Gen, the nonprofit where we are still engaged is um, we actually just had a wrapped up a partnership with Africa Agility. There is an amazing woman. Her name is Anu. Gopal and her team and they have been doing work and I was actually was introduced to her by Jesse Fuel who's also an amazing Agilist that people might know he's a CST anyway he introduced he says like two great people trying to transform Africa y'all need to talk together so that's what I love about our community is Jesse was able to connect me with her and she has been doing a program called girls in tech for Nigeria for many years And she had decided, and we had brainstormed together, why don't we expand this? And so this last year, she made it Africa Girls in Tech. First of all, it was usually in person there, but she made it virtual. And she opened it up to 500 girls from Africa and she gave us in Sudan 50 seats. And so we partnered on that. So we were partnering on the training. I delivered workshops. My session was on coaching, mentoring, and teaching under the Scrum Mastery track and several others also provided training. But we were able to partner on this and get 50 girls to go through the program. A portion of them have graduated and we're now in the middle of trying to find them jobs. So now if you go to SudanNextGen.com slash jobs, you'll see these beautiful ladies that just graduated. And if anybody's interested in hiring beautiful girls in tech from Sudan, we have a wonderful list of them. They all learned agile, being a scrum master, being a product manager, AI and machine learning and data analysis and marketing and branding. Those were the main tracks. So that's something we're very excited about that we are in the middle right now doing a Facebook Live to introduce them and see if companies are willing to hire. Our big vision is just like India has been able to transform its economy by outsourcing jobs. What if Africa could do the same? What if Africa could be the next outsourcing hub and that people would hire people from Africa and see how hard they work and and see how amazing they are. I've actually hired two interns from Sudan this way, both women, and they've been doing a phenomenal job. So that's the big thing we're working on right now. And then I have a humanitarian project going on. We were able to find a donor, a funder who has about about 200,000 And they are helping, I think there's 10 different schools and they're providing meals. We're working with a local nonprofit. The actual food that these students eat every single day comes from this initiative. And I think we're covering about 4,000 students right now that their entire school year, their food, their drinks, and their uniforms are coming from this project. So it makes me feel really nice and warm inside to know that we are covering that many number of students. And I, again, couldn't have done that without the donors and without the local partner.
0: I am so amazed, Sally, <laughs> of all the things that, that you're doing and continuing to do. It's such an inspiration. So I'm curious, what are some of the lessons from your experience in transforming Sudan that you would bring back to businesses and organizations? Are there any interesting revelations and learnings that now influence your approach to agility? You know, just a lot
2: of what I shared. I mean, I, I guess the biggest, and I don't know that this relates to companies. But for me personally, the big vision that I had for Sudan and that we all had for Sudan didn't come true yet, right? So that's very hard when you have millions of people around the world that are Sudanese and non-Sudanese that really believe strongly that good is going to win over evil and that democracy and the voice of the people is going to win and they're going to get their democratic government. And then you realize that that's not reality and that the military is still going to to take hold and even all the agreements that they go through right now, or some of them are just fake. There's a level of disappointment that I wasn't ready for, to be honest with you, but how do you still persevere and keep the people that we did all of this in mind to keep going? Like I just said, like the two things we're still doing is because we are still wanting to make an impact in Sudan, regardless of what the political climate is. And we don't want to stop and use that as an excuse. So maybe the message there is there's not always the exact happy ending you were looking for. It might look a little little bit different. It's nice to have a vision and it's good to dream, but especially in the current world that we live in, it's quite changing. So if I was a leader and I am a leader in my own company, I have to be ready to pivot my vision, not just pivot the how, but pivot the entire vision of what does success look like and pivot my outcomes. And and that's maybe the biggest lesson that I had, you know, because we normally have concrete outcomes and we keep pivoting on the how, and this is the know the where you're going might change completely. And you'll hear a lot of companies today that are in the financial sector that will say, we are going to be in the technology sector in the future, or oil and gas that say, well, we're going to move to different markets. It's not necessarily oil and gas or Salesforce that used to just do sales. That's now buying all sorts of platforms. So all I'm saying is the vision itself might change when you're really in that business agility mindset and you need to be okay with that. And you need to be paying attention to what's happening in the market. And especially right now with AI and machine learning, the whole game has changed everybody's really got to be thinking and listening and watching of what does the future look like for you to win in this new game. And it's a different game, right? Roles are going to change. Career paths are going to change what people are doing. So yeah, just bringing it back to this world that we're in right now, there's a lot of change coming and, and we might need to pivot our vision.
0: Very, very wise words. Thank you so much, Sally. It is such an inspiring story and continue to inspire just what you're continuing doing. Thank you. You really, you really take business agility to the next level. As you said, it's, well, we should call it nation agility. Yes. <laughs> global agility. <laughs> okay, there you go. Global and agility. Like global agility. Yes. Yeah. I like that. Global agility. I like that. Thank you so very much, Sally, for sharing with us your Sudan story, as well as helping us know how to be a change agent in our fast changing world. I sure have
2: learned a lot. Awesome. No, thank you. And thank you for letting me share it. As I talk about it myself, I get like, wow, that was a lot that we just did. So thank you for giving me the moment to reflect. And I hope the listeners are also inspired and, you know, motivated to make some change happen, whether it's in your own company, or whether it's in your society or in your community, you don't have to go do this, at the, you know, change a country. What can you do? Because lots of change is about to happen. And I think all of us need to get outside of our little comfort boxes and look at the community, look at the society and do something about it. I honestly believe it's not going to work. You've got climate change problems. You've got problems everywhere if we don't, especially Agilist, rise up to do something about it.
1: Yes, thank you very much, Sally. I am so energized and inspired by this story. As a matter of fact, I really want to see a movie. I'm wondering, do we have any movie makers in our listeners out there? Contact us or contact Sally. I want to see a movie here.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys, you had a wonderful day.
1: This concludes our conversation with Sally Alata on leveraging transformation skills to rebuild nations In our next series, we're very delighted to have Natal Dank, a leading pioneer in Agile HR and business agility. We hope you can join us as we deep dive into Agile in HR.
0: Thank you so much for listening to our Agile Tales. Feel free to ping us on ouragiletales.com.